Well, open your Bibles again today to Mark 11. And as we said before, just to tell you the real truth about it, everything you need to know about faith is found right here. And of course, we can't cover it all just in a few days. But at least we can sort of hit some high spots, cover maybe the most important parts. In fact, to tell you the real truth about the matter, this lesson today is the most important lesson you'll ever hear on the subject of faith. Amen. I said amen. All right, let's start reading again with the 22nd verse. 22nd verse of the 11th chapter. Now notice, and Jesus answering saith unto them, have faith in God, or as the margin said, have the faith of God. And then he goes on in the 23rd verse to describe, define or describe the God kind of faith and how it works. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things ever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and ye shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive. Everybody say forgive. If ye have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Now then, I want you to notice, you know, we all rejoice in Mark eleven twenty three and Mark eleven twenty four, and we're quick to quote those verses. But you ever stop to think about it? Mark eleven twenty five goes right along with it. It's part of it. He said, uh, "You see, he just got through saying." In Mark eleven twenty four, therefore I say unto you, what things ever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. Now then, uh, what's the next word after that? And. And is a conjunction. It joins what he's about to say to what he just got through saying. Doesn't it? Amen? And when you stand praying. See, he's still talking about prayer. Now you see in that 24th verse, he's talking about prayer. What things have you desire when you pray? What things have you desire when you pray? And when you stand praying. Or in other words, when you pray, forgive. If you have ought against any. Now, I don't know why, but uh, I do know from experience of teaching along this line for over 50 years that this is the main reason why people's faith doesn't work. It's the main reason why people fail to receive healing. And actually, if you would do this, if you'll go through the four Gospels, And if you'll just underline with a red pencil, or better yet, get you a sheet of paper, and just write out every statement that Jesus made relative to faith, you'll find that this is the only hindrance that he ever mentioned. Now, that doesn't mean that there are not other hindrances. But what that does mean is that this is the main hindrance. 
he warned us where the greatest danger was. Amen? And I know from experience, just hearing people talk and, and, and talking to them, dealing with people for healing on a one-to-one -one basis and so on, that so many people, you know, they all know it's wrong to have something big against somebody, but it don't hurt, you know, just to hold a little something against them. You know? But this text said, when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught. Did you ever look up the word aught in the dictionary? It means anything at all. It means anything at all. Little, big, or middle size. And you know, there's a text in the Old Testament that said, the little foxes spoil the vines. It's not the big thing so many times in Christian lives that spoil the vine. You know what I mean by that. Keeps your faith from working, your prayers from being heard. It's the little things. Just a little lot. I've said for over 50 years, so I'm not going to quit saying it now because it's true, that if my prayers didn't work and my faith didn't work, this would be the first place I'd look. And you know what? Through these 54 years, I'm in my 54th year of ministry. I'm in my 54th year of divine health. Now don't misunderstand me at all. If folks need medicine, I, in fact, I buy it medicine for people every once in a while. Send them to the doctor. If I needed an aspirin, I'd take it. My head hurt. And I couldn't get healed any other way. But the last headache I had was August 1933. And in 54 years, I haven't even as much as had an aspirin. Well, if you do, I go along sometimes, five to seven years at a time, don't know I have a body from a standpoint of giving me any problems. But if I do... This is the first place I look. And I always straighten up right away and just get healed the same day. Where a lot of folks, you know, will hold out <laughs> and not get healed. Now, sir, this would be the first place I'd look. And, and I just always, through these years, have refused to allow the least bit of animosity, the least bit of ill will, the least bit of wrong feeling, I won't allow it for a moment to touch me. I'd be just as careful about that as I would a rattlesnake because it's just as deadly. Ill will towards somebody else, wrong feelings towards somebody else. It's just as deadly as a rattlesnake bite because if you know anything at all about the Bible and you have the Spirit of God, you know I'm telling you the truth. Amen? I had a fellow hold me a meeting one time, evangelist, and he, he didn't do me right. I could tell you, and you'd know it, but I'm not even going to tell it. And the devil said to me, if I was you, I wouldn't take him up another offering. I'd just wait till Sunday night, you know, see, see that, that old get back attitude. And you still have that in your flesh. See, your spirit's born again and become a new creature in Christ. Remember 2 Corinthians 5, 17 said, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Now, that's not talking about your body. It's talking about the inward man because, you see, that's the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians. And in the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians, you remember in the 16th verse, uh, Paul said, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perished, the inward man is renewed day by day. So when he talks about, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's talking about the inward man. And in the inward man, old things are passed away and all things have become new. 
But old things haven't passed away in the outward man. I mean, you still got the same body you had, and it won't do the same things it always did. And in your body, your body won't say, you know, you spit on me, I'll spit on you. You curse me and I'll curse you. You hit me and I'll hit you. That's the reason the Bible said, that's the reason Paul said, I keep my body under. You know, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I keep my body under, I bring it into subjection. Well, who's I? I's the man on the inside, the inward man. I keep my body under. I rule my body, don't let my body rule me. Now here's Paul, the apostle, great man of God, wrote half the New Testament. Well, his body must have bought to do things that were wrong or he wouldn't have to keep it under, would he? I said, would he? Sure. So just because your body wants to do things wrong, see, if you don't know the Bible, the devil will tell you, you said, well, now, you claim to be a Christian and want to do all these things. Well, you couldn't be saved. No, that's the reason Paul said, I keep under my body. In other words, I keep my body under. I bring it into submission, subjection. I keep it under control. I bring it into subjection. I bring it into subjection. I keep it under. He calls his body it. I, as the man on the inside, don't let my body rule me. I rule my body. That's reading Paul writing to the Romans in Romans 12, 1 said, wherefore I beseech ye brethren. That means cistern too. Amen. <laughs> See, that you present your bodies. You do something with your body. God's not going to do anything with it. You've got to present your bodies unto God, a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto him with your reasonable service. Amen. See, that body, now, now you see, we think about keeping the body under, people automatically think of sexual sin. That's part of it, but that's only a little part of it. Because you see, your body, you, it will only have the attitude, you hit me, I'll hit you. Did you ever want to hit somebody? Sure you did, probably yesterday. Maybe this morning. Amen. I'm talking about physically, naturally, you know. But you've got to keep the body up. Did you ever want to tell somebody off? I'll get them told, all right. Might have been your husband this morning. <laughs> or it might have been the husband telling his wife off. Or somebody else. Keep the body under. That body will want to do it. The flesh will want to do it, won't it? Huh? You know there is, whether you like it or whether you don't like it. I'm talking about from the flesh now. There is a beast that's in all of us. You don't let that beast out. You keep him under Amen? Amen. So, here this fellow did me wrong. There's no doubt about that. Evangelist, holding me in my church. And the devil said to me, and, and, and your natural mind and flesh probably sided in with him and helped him. If I was you, I just wouldn't take him up another offering. You know, get back at him. Revenge. The Bible said that God said, revenge is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Better let him do it. He'll do a better job than you did because you both get in a mess. Amen. And uh, finally, you just wouldn't take him up another offering. I'd just wait till Sunday night, you know, because you got to. You got to look good as you can in front of your people. They'd think something's wrong if you didn't take up one. But I'll just wait till Sunday night and wouldn't try to get him anything. Just get up and say, well, this is Brother So-and-So's offering. Don't pass the plate. I said, just now ordinarily, we took up an offering when we had the visiting speaker that way in the van list. Tuesday night, Friday night, and Sunday night. Other nights, we'd take up expense offerings because uh, there's expenses to putting on a revival. Advertisement and, and keeping the evangelists and feeding them and so on and so forth. And uh, so, 
I said, now just for that, Mr. Devil, I'm going to take him up an offering every night. Amen. Give him twice as many as we ordinarily do. See, we was in the last week now. Started the last week of the meeting. And if you say anything else to me about it, I'll take him up two offerings every night. Well, the devil never mentioned it. He don't want any preacher to get two offerings a night. He's mad about him getting one. I took him up an offering every single night. And then I asked him, because my church wasn't a large church. It was a medium, wasn't a small church. It's what we call a medium-sized church. And so I asked him, because he preached in the larger churches and, 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 and medium-sized churches, very seldom ever preached in a small church. And so I just asked him, what do you average? What is your average? See, even in these large churches, he told me. He told me what his average income was. I gave him three times as much as he's used to getting and gave a third of it out of my own pocket. Sent him away with a good taste in his mouth. Of course, I never did have him back anymore. <laughs> but I sent him away feeling good. Amen? And I felt good. No, sir, I never would allow the least bit of animosity, ill will, wrong feeling toward anyone, no matter what they've done. I tell folks all the time, told them fierce, I wouldn't even deny it if they told on me that I killed my grandma. I'd just stay in love and keep preaching the gospel, enjoying the blessings of God instead of getting to fuss and fighting about it. Now here's a text that you need to get a hold of. You understand what we're saying now when you stand praying, forgive, Jesus said. But look here in the fifth chapter of Galatians. Fifth chapter of Galatians. Now here Paul is writing a letter that is to be read throughout all of the churches in Galatia. See, this letter isn't written just to one church. It was to be passed from church to church and read throughout all the churches in Galatia. Notice what Paul said in the sixth verse of this fifth chapter of Galatians. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love, but faith which worketh by love, but faith which worketh by love. Amen? Faith worketh by love. Well, you see, if there's no love, then faith won't work. And love has to do with forgiveness, doesn't it? See, God loved us. Hallelujah, forgave us. Because we deserved it? No, because he loved us. Amen? Then notice, now that's Galatians. Turn right on over to Ephesians. That's the very next book, Ephesians. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus. I wonder if it applies to the church in Miami or wherever you are from. Amen? I wonder if it applies to us today. Look at the last verse of the fourth chapter of Ephesians. And be ye kind one to another. That is, provided they haven't done you wrong. If they've done you wrong, don't you be kind towards them. Tenderhearted. That is, except if they've talked about you, you be hard-hearted about it and talk about them. Forgiving one another. That is, providing that it's it didn't think amounts to too much. No, that's not the way that reads, is it? That's just the way people practice it too many times. 
and be ye kind one toward another. She's writing to Christians. Isn't that strange to have to tell Christians to be kind one toward another? Because they're living in that body that's not redeemed. Thank God we will have a new body one of these days. Won't that be wonderful? Tender-hearted one toward another. Forgiving one another. Even as God. We can forgive even as God forgives. Now why? Because the Bible said God is love. And the Bible said the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. The kind of love that God is has been shed abroad in our hearts, our spirits, our inward man. Shed, it's in there. It's in there. You don't have to pray and fast for it. If you're saved, you got it. If you don't have it, you're not saved. Just that simple. Now turn right on over. Come on over to the first epistle of John. Third chapter, 14th verse. We know. We know. I like that, don't you? That's positive. Glory to God. Not we think so. Not maybe so. Not this is my opinion. This is my theory. This is the way I've got it figured out. This is the way I think it is. No, we know. John the apostle. What is it we know? He's writing to believers. He said we. That's John and believers. You a believer? Sure. What is it we know? We know that we pass from death unto life. No, he's not talking about physical death. We haven't passed from physical death yet. Thank God physical death will be put underfoot. It's the last enemy. No, he's talking about spiritual death. We pass from death unto life. Now, how, how do we know it? Because we love the brethren. That's the way you know you're saved. I remember a man in my hometown, a businessman. He owned two places of business. I, I, I knew him, you know, a little old town of eight, 9,000 population. All the business is right around the square, around the courthouse, and maybe off one block off on, on some of the streets at that time. That's where all the business was. He owned two places of business around the square there. And uh, so he had a, a, a light stroke because of high blood pressure. He wasn't able to function anymore, so he consolidated the two businesses into one store, and his wife ran it. And uh, he just wasn't able to uh, function too well. And he, you know, he'd get out some, but he had to walk with a cane because he had difficulty walking because one limb on one side, you know, was uh, affected by the stroke that he had. And he sort of dragged that foot. If he sat down, he can't get up. Somebody has to help him up. Actually, you got to help him in the car. He can't get out of the car. They'd have to lift him out of the car. So very great difficulty, you see. And uh, so he, uh, he, had, uh, he, he was older. Uh, he was somewhere in his 60s. Wife quite a bit younger than him. Actually, it was his second wife, and, and she had never been married. They married, uh, you know, in fact, uh, she just sort of got in under the wire. She was almost beyond childbearing age, and they had a little girl. And there he was, 60-some-odd years old, got a little girl, nine years old. And, and so he, uh, this little girl got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost down at the uh, Full Gospel Tabernacle. 
Her daddy never went to church. Her mama didn't go to church, though her mother had known the Lord. And so uh, he told me, because I was talking to him one day, he told me, he said, uh, you know, uh, that little girl, you know, when she wasn't in school, otherwise, why, they hired somebody to sort of watch him because he had difficulty, you know, he can't get up and go get a drink of water, he can't get up out of his chair. Somebody has to go to the restroom, somebody has to help him. And so that little girl, nine years old, you know, she's playing around out in the yard. She'd run in every once in a while and said, Daddy, you all right? And so she said, she ran in there one time and said, Daddy, are you saved? Have you ever been born again? And he said, yes, honey. And he told me, he said, I, and she run back out playing, you know, little nine-year-old girl jumping around. And I got to think about it. I never have lied to that little girl. Am I saved? Well, I remember, I see, 47, well, 49 years ago, I joined the church. But she said, have you ever been born again? Well, if I ever have, I don't know it. So he said, I called her. Said, honey, come. She come running up to the window. You know, the window was open. We're talking about back in the 30s now. She come running up that open window, you know, and, and said, uh, he said, I said to her, honey, daddy never has lied to you. You asked me I'll go for a save without thinking. I said, yes, because I joined the church when, you know, 49 years ago. But if, but if I've ever been born again, I don't know it. She said, well, daddy, you need to. You're going to hell. And you're old, you know. I mean, he could have another stroke and die. <laughs> so he said, my wife and I decided we'd start to go into church with her. And the first service they went to, his wife went to the altar and rededicated, reconsecrated their life to God and got filled with the Holy Ghost. And so he went along with them, some of the men, you see, where they lived, actually, they owned the thing, but it was an apartment complex and some of the men there would help get him in the car. And then when he got to church, see, he can't get out. They'd lift him out of the car and, and usually just carry him and, and set him down inside the church and give him his cane and he'd try to straighten up and drag that foot along. And then he got up here to the pew and he can't sit down. Some of the ushers would help him get set down. But see, he didn't get saved. He went every service because that little girl went every Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. See, that was my home church. But this happened. I knew him. This happened uh, after that I left and went away to pastoring another church in another county, another town, city. So, one day I was back over there visiting, went by to see him, and he said to me, he said, you know, I, I, got, uh, I got saved, I got born again. Now, I haven't gotten filled with the Holy Ghost yet, but I'm going to. And so, uh, he said, uh, in one of the meetings, they're having a revival meeting, you know, and people in the altar praying to be saved, to be filled with the Spirit, he couldn't kneel anyway, but he said, I just bowed my head over on the pew in front of him and asked the Lord to come into my heart and save me and said he did. And so he said one night later on during this revival, everybody was praying except him. He's sitting on the pew because he can't. And of course, I don't guess the vandals knew that. He went back and spoke to him, said, are you saved? He said, yes, sir. He said, how do you know you are? Well, he said, I'll tell you how I know. He said, I, come to, I used to come down here. In fact, I've been coming here for the last two or three years to church. And he said, every Wednesday night, they always have a testimony meeting. And you always count on it. The first one up to testify is old man Smith. And said, he's just an old codger. And he had always testify and double up his fist. I've seen him say, I'm saved and sanctified, like he's challenging folks. Sanctified and baptized with the Holy Ghost. And he said, I'd get so mad, I'd sit there and quietly cuss under my breath. I'd say, old man, 
if I wasn't crippled like this, I'd just see how sanctified you are. And then said you could always count on it. The very next one up to testify was old lady Bailey. And said, when I still ran my business, said Mr. Bailey worked for me. And he said, that old woman's always trying to get everybody saved. And he'd go home, she's out trying to get people saved, and he'd go home, the kids are running up and down the back alley, and the beds haven't been made, and the house swept. She's out trying to win souls, and, and, and no supper, not cooked. And said, I knew that old lady didn't have anything, this make me mad. I just sat there and cursed under my breath. But said, you know, I bowed my head over here on the back of the pew during this meeting, actually. And they'd been having some testimonies during the meeting, you see. And said, the Lord saved me. And said, you know, ever since then, said, I just dearly love to hear old Brother Smith testify. <laughs> See, before it was old man Smith. Oh, said, he's a little eccentric, but said, he loves the Lord. And then said, I'll tell you, said, I love to hear dear sister Bailey testify. Before it's old lady Bailey. Now said, I know, of course, that, uh, that she maybe is not 100% perfect, but none of us are. But right on other than said, I know her husband. After all, he did work for me. He's the type of fellow that would go home. In fact, he'd tell me, I'm going home. If my wife's got supper on the table, I'm going to get mad and cuss her out and knock it off the table. And if she doesn't, I'm going to whip her. So he said, Master, she is gone when he got there. <laughs> said, I dearly love to hear dear Sister Bailey. Well, I noticed this. Dear Sister Bailey got all of her children and her husband too saved because I went back there to visit the church and all of them sitting on one pew. Glory to God. But how did he know he was saved? Huh? How did he know? That's what the evangelist asked him. We know we pass from death unto life because we love them that love us. Because we love them that are good to us. No, we love the brethren. I notice the rest of that verse. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. See, he's not talking about physical death. He's not physically death. He's abiding, living in spiritual death. Living in spiritual death. Look at verse 15. Whoso hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. See, if we're born again, we've got the life of God and the love of God in us. Hallelujah. He that hateth his brother, that means mother-in-law too. That means anybody. I was holding a meeting, you know, in the state of Oregon a number of years ago. Well, actually, just across the river from Portland, I had preached there and it went across the river and Rita, we were preaching over in Vancouver, Washington, just across the river from Portland. And... Uh, a young couple, actually, they were both ministers, ordained ministers of the gospel. I'd met them before, preaching convention for their full gospel denomination. And, and they were living there, then just going to this church. They were not the pastors. And so my wife and I went with the young man and his wife to have a sandwich after church. And she said to me, Brother Hagin, you've got me all confused. I said, no, I didn't get you confused. You was confused before I got here. <laughs> the light of God's word just showed up your confusion. Then I said, why? Well, she said, tonight in your preaching, you know, God will have you to say things and do things just to help people that may not even be in your sermon if you're really yielded to the Holy Ghost. Because I don't remember that being in the sermon, but I do remember me saying it. I, suddenly I, I, I said, you know, the Bible said in 1 John three fourteen, we know we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren. 
And I said in the next verse, said, he that hated his brother, and, and, and I don't know why I said it. See, I did after it. I said, that means mother-in-law too. And just went on then with my sermon. I said, yeah, I remember saying that. Why? Well, she said, I hate my mother-in-law. Well, now I knew that she really didn't. What's happening is, she's not, she hasn't done, even though she's an ordained minister of the gospel, a full gospel minister, and so is her husband. She has not uh, presented her body to God a living sacrifice. She's not doing what Paul said, I keep my body under. And then Romans 12, 2, she hadn't got her mind renewed. And so her natural mind and flesh is dominating her. Because if she really hates her mother-in-law, then we, we read right here, he that hateth his brother, and that means his sister, mother-in-law, hates anybody, is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Be impossible for him to, wouldn't it? And so I said, uh, well, that's true. I mean, if you hate your mother-in-law, then you're a murderer. And you know the sad thing about the real truth about this, we have, we have a lot of murderers sitting around on church pews. I tell you, I don't like the, I hear, I hear Christian people, I mean, spirit-filled, tongue-talking people, charismatic. I, I hear them, and how for years, I, I hear people say, I just hate old so-and-so. I know they really don't, but they oughtn't to say that because it's wrong even to say it. Because if they do hate old so-and-so, they're a murderer. They don't have eternal life. They're not Christians. But what's happening is they're letting the flesh dominate them. I, I just don't like that word hate. I, I don't use that word. It's not in my vocabulary. The word love's in my vocabulary. I don't hate anybody. I don't even like, I hear people say sometimes, you know, some food, I just hate spinach. Well, there's some foods I don't particularly like, but I don't hate them. I've heard people say, I hate dogs. Well, I like some dogs. I don't dislike all of them, but I don't hate any of them. I hate cats. And you hear people use that word hate. Really, it shouldn't be a part of our vocabulary. So I said, well, if that's the case, you hate your mother-in-law, you're not saved. You don't have eternal life. You're a murderer. I saw, you know, she's just about sunk. <laughs> I better help her out. <laughs> I said to her, uh, because see, we were sitting in a booth at a restaurant having a sandwich, and I'm sitting right across from her. She and her husband sitting on one side, my wife and I on the other. And so I said to her, now look me right in the eye across this table and say out loud, I hate my mother-in-law. And at the same time, check right in here. See, that's your spirit. See, it says be tender-hearted. Amen? Kind, tender-hearted one toward another. Forgive one another. Check right in here in your spirit, your heart. Not, you know, not the physical pump. The heart, the center of man's being, which is his spirit. So she looked across the table and said, I hate my mother-in-law. I said, what happened in here? She said, there's something down there scratching me. I said, yeah. The love of God's been shed abroad. See, we read it there a moment ago. In our heads. Huh? No, not in our heads. Oh, dear Lord, you let your head dominate you. No telling what a mess you'll get into. Sometimes there's not too much there. The love of God's been shed abroad in our bodies. No, no. The love of God. What kind of love? What kind of love? The love of God. The God kind of love. Not natural human love. Natural human love will turn to hate overnight. 
the God kind of love's been shed abroad on the inside of us, in our inner man, in our hearts, by the Holy Ghost. I said, that love's down there trying to get your attention. See, the Bible said the love of Christ constraineth us. That love's trying to constrain you to get your attention. She said, what am I going to do? I said, act like you would if you did love your mother-in-law because you do. Act like you would. Love is revealed in word and action. I mean, even naturally. What if somebody here, for instance, we'll just take Brother and Sister Moore for an example. They live here in Miami, you see. And so she's been gone somewhere visiting for several weeks. Called him, said, well, I'm coming in, flying in there. I'll be in there to airport such and such a time. So she comes in, he's not there, nobody's there. Has to phone somebody. He knows she's coming, just talk to him on the phone. And so two or three days later, he shows up. Puts his arm around a hug and said, I sure love you. I wonder about that. So would she. It's sort of like the old boy, you know, wrote a love letter to his wife, to his girlfriend. And he said, I'd climb the highest mountain. I'd wade the deepest river. I'd swim the largest ocean. If it don't rain Saturday night, I'll come see you. No, oh, he's trying to tell how much he loved her. <laughs> Amen. You know, Christians are that way. Oh, I love the Lord. Oh, yes, sir. Not anything I wouldn't do for him. If it don't rain Sunday, I'll go to church. <laughs> you know, we talk a lot about love, but you don't see much of it. I said you don't see much of it. That's a sad thing. Amen. What am I going to do, this woman said. I said, act like you would if you did love her, because you do. Well, a few nights later, she came around to my wife and said, I've invited my mother-in-law and my two sisters-in-law and their husbands over to the house. See, this is a church meeting, and we ran it several weeks. We, we took Saturday off, Saturday's rest day. Friday night after church, would you and Brother Hagin come? Well, my wife said, ordinarily, Brother Hagin doesn't do things like that, but I'll ask him anyway. And she did, and I was led to the Lord to go, so we went. And she slipped around and said to me, said, you're exactly right. These folks are wonderful people. I don't, I don't hate any of them. I was letting my flesh dominate me. Now, here's a sequel that's a, that's, that'll work for you just as well as it did for her. See, we had met this young couple. Oh, I'd say this 30 years old. He might have been 32 and she is 30 years old. We had met him, actually, I guess the first time, uh, two or three years before then. I, I had preached a, uh, a convention for this uh, full gospel denomination. And then I'd met him at another convention that I'd spoken to. And, and I didn't really know they had any children, but when we were there at home, we found out that they had three children. The youngest one is three years old, a little past three, between three and four, three years old. Uh, a little blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl. And we found out that that little girl had epilepsy. Now, for the first two years of her life, she's perfect. Every time she's examined by the pediatrician, they're just fine. And after she had got into her third year, past the second year, she began to have epileptic seizures. And uh, they had gone to, uh, now they lived in, in Oregon, well, part of the time in Oregon, and just across the river there in Vancouver. And... Uh, they finally took the child down to Los Angeles 
other doctors recommended this doctor said in fact he's the world's number one specialist on epilepsy in fact he doesn't do anything else except treat people come to him from all over the world with epilepsy and after he ran brainwave tests on the child and so on he said in 38 years of practice this is the worst case of epilepsy I've ever seen well, they can give them medication that'll cause them, it won't keep them from having the, the, the seizures, but it'll make them lighter. So the child's on medication. Of course, we're preaching faith and healing. They're trying to believe God for the healing of that little girl. And so uh, after this night there, the next week, we were getting ready to go to church. And the phone rang. We were in a motel. And this was this mother, this woman I'm talking about now, on the phone. And she said, I know Brother Hagin don't do that, but would you on the way to church run by here because this child's going into this preliminary attack and then into a seizure. They're trying to believe God. Would you come by here and pray for the child? Well, my wife said, I don't know whether he will or not because he don't do that unless God tells him, but the Lord told me to. So I said, tell her we'll be around there in about 10 minutes. It really wasn't very far out of her way on the way to church anyway. And so we got in the car and started my wife and I are the only persons in the car. We were sitting in the front seat. But to me, it was just as real as though someone was sitting in the back seat. And yet I know it wasn't uh, audible. Yet to me, that's the way it sounded. just like somebody sitting in the back seat speaking to me. Because my wife never heard it. Because I asked her a lot of times, did you hear that? No, I said, I never heard anything. And I thought she heard it. I've been standing with a group of preachers, four or five ministers of the gospel. And the Lord spoke to me and I asked them. I said, did you all hear that? They said, no, we, we didn't hear anything. But she is surreal to me. I thought they heard it. I thought it was audible. You ever stop thinking about in the Old Testament when uh, the prophet was saying, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, well, sometimes there were other people present. He wouldn't have to tell them what the Lord said if they all heard it. It wasn't audible that it came to him, and yet it's surreal to him that he thinks it is. So it's just like somebody sitting in the back seat said, uh, don't pray for the child. Don't lay your hand on the child. Don't anoint the child with oil. Say to the mother, Mother, under the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, I promised Israel, you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments, do that which is right in my sight, I'll take sickness away from the midst of you. The number of your days you will fulfill. Paraphrasing that in New Testament language, I said a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. You say to the mother, Mother, then under the new covenant, keeping the commandment, the one commandment of love, I'll take sickness away from the midst of you. The number of your days you'll fulfill. So say to the mother, Mother, say to Satan, Satan, I'm walking in love. Take your hand off my child. Now, I didn't get those words out of my mouth till that mother whirled that child's in this beginning of this seizure, epileptic seizure, pointed to the child and said, Satan, Take your hand off my child. I'm walking in love. God's my witness. My wife's a witness. That woman's a witness. Fast you can snap your finger. That seizure stopped. That epileptic seizure stopped. Just that fast. That fast. That fast. You know, tell you the real truth. Of course we have to pray. And we do pray for people because we got too many baby Christians and then others that order no more don't know better. But tell you the real truth about it. We ought to, older Christians ought to get to the place they never need prayer, never get in the healing line, never have hands laid on them, never be anointed with oil. If you'd ever learned to walk in love, you wouldn't even be sick to begin with. 
And if you were, if Satan did attack you, just tell him, take your hand off of me. I'm walking in love. Yeah, but somebody said, I haven't been walking in love. She hadn't either. Just a few days before, she said, I hate my mother-in-law and didn't feel right toward her, but she's got it straightened up. Thank God you can get over and back into love. If you get out, you can get back. Now, I never thought of that before. That came as revelation to me. I knew in the Old Testament what God said, but now you think about it. I never said that to anybody before, what the Lord said to me. Let's check up and see if that's scripture. What do you say? Why don't you turn back with me in your uh, Bibles and let's just look. Now, understand this is to Israel, all right, but then we'll tie it in with us. Let's turn first to Exodus, the 15th chapter, and read the 26th verse. If you don't have your Bible, write this down, take notes on it, and then look it up later. Mark these verses in your Bible. If you can't write in your Bible, throw it away. <laughs> Buy one of ours back there. You can write in Now notice. 26th verse of the 15th chapter of Exodus. And said, this is what God said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, will do that which is right in his sight, will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now that's King James translation. It's a little blind to us due to this fact that God is not, see, we read the rest of the Bible. He's not the author of diseases. See, he doesn't directly put sickness or disease on anybody. Are you listening to me? Now see, you can see that in the case of Job. He didn't put sickness on Job. He permitted the devil to do it. See, it's not commission, it's permission. Dr. Robert Young and other Hebrew scholars point out that in the Hebrew, see in the English, you don't have any, any verbs permissive or they didn't have it in the Hebrew. So they translated it in the causative sense. Besides that, just stop and think about it a little bit and you can see exactly what God's saying here. It's not that he's the agent. Now, for instance, here, you see the, the legislature, state and, and, and national pass laws or the city. They've got speed zones here, 35 miles an hour. Or the city commission may zone a certain place, you see, or whatever. Well, you violate that city commission, doesn't come out and put you in jail. See, God passes the law. In that sense, he puts it on you. But he passes the law, but he doesn't do it. The devil comes and gets you and arrests you. So it isn't that God directly does it because he doesn't put sick. After all, he doesn't have any sickness. Where would he get it? So a better translation would be, Dr. Young suggests that. Young is the author of Young's Analytical Greek and Hebrew Concordance. And he suggests that in a book he had, and incidentally, it's out of print. Anyway, he suggested that this should be translated, I will permit none of the diseases upon thee which I permitted upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now turn over to uh, the 23rd chapter of Exodus and notice the 25th and 26th verses. Now, this is talking about Israel, of course, you know. And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water. Now, you see, that's symbolic also. He didn't mean that's all they'd ever have to eat would be bread and water, did he? No, he just simply means that my blessing will be upon your food. I'll bless your food. I'll bless your bread and water. And I'll take sickness away from the midst of thee. Well, if sickness was taken away from the midst of them, they wouldn't even be sick then, would they? I said, wouldn't it? I'll take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall nothing cast their young nor be barren in the land. Well, if they're not sick, then they won't never die, would they? No. 
the number of thy days I will fulfill. So can you see, now turn to the seventh chapter of Deuteronomy, but can you see that Israel, under their covenant God made with them, had the potential, had the possibility of living their full length of time out down here below on this earth without sickness and without disease, hallelujah, and fulfill the number of their days. Didn't have that possibility. How did it come about? By walking in God's word, in other words, by keeping his commandments. All right, now look at Deuteronomy, the seventh chapter. And notice the 15th, and the Lord will take away from thee some sicknesses. Oh, well, if all sickness is taken away, then you wouldn't even be sick, would you? Would you? And will put, or a better translation would be permit, none of the evil diseases of Egypt which thou knowest upon thee, but will permit them upon all them that hate thee. All right. Now, see, that's what the Lord said to me. Uh, by the Spirit, I never heard anybody say it. He said, under the old covenant, and you can see that from these scriptures, I said to Israel, walk in my statutes, keep my commandments, do that which is pleasing or right in my sight, and I'll take sickness away from the midst of thee, and the number of your days you'll fulfill. Now, nobody will argue with that. Amen? But now then, he said to me, paraphrasing that in New Testament language. All right, let's come to the New Testament. Let's come to John's Gospel of the 13th chapter. You'll never hear a more important message than what I'm preaching and teaching today. Did you hear me? I'm talking to believers, you understand. Of course, the sinner, the most important message he'll ever hear is the new birth. But see, I'm talking to Christians. No Christian will ever hear and has ever heard and will ever hear a more important message or teaching than what we're saying today. All right. You got your Bibles open to John's Gospel, the Gospel of St. John, the 13th chapter. Now notice, a new commandment I give unto you. A new, everybody say new. A new commandment I give unto you. What is this new commandment? That you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. How are they going to know? How All men, that means everybody in the world, everybody everywhere, all men's all men. No, how are they going to know you're Jesus' disciples if you have love one toward another? Amen? I said amen. amen. Now then, see the Old Testament had this 10 commandments. The New Testament has its one commandment. Now the minute you say that, because see, we've been so religiously brainwashed as to the New Testament taught that somebody immediately speaks up, well, you mean we don't have to keep the Ten Commandments? Certainly not. After all, if I'm walking in love, I'm not going to steal anything from you, am I? You don't have to write and tell me thou shalt not steal, do you? I mean, if I'm walking in love, you don't have to write and say thou shalt not lie, bear false witness, or tell a lie on your brother, do you? I'm not going to lie. See, if I'm walking in love, I'm not going to break any command. I don't need any other commandment. I'm not going to break any commandment that was ever given to curb sin. Am I? I said, am I? No, certainly not. Certainly not. 
Now then, let's just go ahead and prove that. Why don't we just prove that? I don't know about you, but I guess that's the lawyer coming out in me. I always wanted to be a lawyer. Amen. God called me to preach. Amen. Well, let's turn over to Romans. What do you say? Romans. Now here you see Paul. We, we're going to read in the 13th chapter, but let's notice the very first chapter first of all. Just see who he's writing to. See if this applies to us or not. Romans, notice that he addresses this letter to the Romans, to all that be in Rome. Now this is the seventh verse of the first chapter. You see the beginning of the letter. He addresses this letter to all that be in Rome. So read we call it the epistle of Paul the apostle to the Romans. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. So it applies to all that be in Miami, beloved of God and called to be saints. And it applies to all that be in Charlotte, North Carolina. We got folks here and there, beloved of God and called to be saints. And it applies to all that be in Peru. Well, we got folks here from Peru, beloved of God and called to be saints. And it applies to all that be in Panama City, Florida. We got folks here from Panama City, beloved of God and called to be saints. And wherever you're from, amen, it applies to all beloved of God and called to be saints. That's us, isn't it? That's us. All right. Let's get over then to the 13th chapter. Let's start reading the 8th verse. Oh, no man anything but to love one. There it comes right back to love. But to love one another. Now, you see, Paul wrote to Timothy. You remember Paul wrote to Timothy and said to Timothy, Timothy was a young minister, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word of truth has to be rightly divided. Now why? Because it can be wrongly divided. Now you see, you can take that out of its setting. Oh, no man anything said, see, you're not supposed to buy anything on credit. Not what it said at all. It's not what it said at all. Oh, no man anything but to love one another. If you'll read other translations and read and look up the original Greek, you'll find out what he's actually saying is this, that there is a debt of love that you'd owe to everybody and you'll never get it paid. Besides that, some of those folks try to tell you you ought to buy anything on credit. They operate on credit themselves all the time. Because if you rented a house, you owe the rent every month, don't you? But really, you didn't get behind. You, as long as you make your payments, you don't owe anything. It just comes due. If you have your electricity turned on, you owe that every month. Well, you really don't owe it till it comes due, and if you pay it, are you following me? Same thing, if you buy something on a credit, you see you don't owe it till it comes due, and if you pay it, well, then you still don't owe it. Are you listening to me? And I know people, bless their darling hearts, young people, that wasn't gonna buy a house, you know, until they got enough money to pay cash for it, because the Bible said, owe no man anything, and they owed their apartment rent every month, and they owed their electric bill every month, and owed their water bill, and they owed their, and they're paying that and wasting the money that they're paying. Are you listening to me? It's done gone. When if they had a house, you know, at least they're building up some equity. No wisdom, no wisdom. I know of a minister, bless his heart. I remember the days of the voice of healing, I saw a lot of them fail like this. Here's this minister. Got a good ministry going. He's got uh, just rented offices. Well, of course, he pays that rent every month. 
So he bought, got up enough money, cash. He bought an area of a, a building and, and, you know, he could turn it into an office building. So he had it fine because, of course, he owed his utilities every month and all of that. But then they outgrew it and so they need more space. So he's going to uh, build another office building because he can't expand anywhere he is, you see. And so he sold that, only gave, tell you the real truth about it, uh, uh, less than a million dollars and sold it for three million. Made good money. Of course, he's there a few years. Oh, four or five years maybe. A little longer than that maybe. Got three million. Now he had some other land to build on, but he's not going to build because the Bible said, oh, no man anything. He's not going to build his office till he's got cash. So he rented the whole floor of an office building and used up his three million, gave it away. When he could took the three million and paid down, got the rest of the office and built what he wanted to. Are you following me now? And acted stupid. Nothing in the world but ignorance gone to seed. <laughs> Wasted God's money. No, you gotta have some sense as well as faith. Based it on a little isolated scripture. I mean, even if it did say that. An older minister said to me, I don't know about you, you, you young ministers could profit by this. I didn't go to Bible school. We, we have a training center. I would have gone if I could, but I was very studious. I would read sometimes all night long, night after night. And, and I got all the books, you know, because of my background of Baptist. I, I got books taught in Baptist schools, Moody Bible Institute, because they were fundamentalists, and, and I'm, I'm fundamentalist to begin with. Then after I got to baptism in the Holy Ghost, I got the books that were taught in full gospel schools, Assemblies of God, Foursquare. And, and I studied the same thing that they studied, the folks that got there. In, in fact, I was holding a meeting for a pastor and we got to discuss it, a book that was taught in one of these Bible schools. And we discussed the book and he knew very little about it and I could just quote it page after page. And so uh, a, a couple of years later, because in connection with their Bible school, this school also had a high school. And so his wife was a school teacher and, and he left his church and was holding meetings and living in a metropolitan area and, and the school was there. And he could just preach for two years, I guess, in these full gospel churches in this metropolitan area and stay home every night. And, and so he went on holding meetings and she taught in the high school and he decided, because see, he's preaching at nighttime pretty regularly, but he decided in the daytime he'd just take one refresher course there in the, in the school. And so they studied that book. Well, he went back to pastor and I went back and held another meeting. And so he thought I went to school. He, we got discussing this particular book again that this man had written and that they taught there. And so he said to me, where did you go to school? I said, I didn't go to school. I said, I just got the book and read it. Well, he said, that man taught that. I mean, the man that wrote the book taught it. You know more about the book than he does. <laughs> because I was very studious. And, and, and so then I took, a, I took also a, a course in, in homiletics from the Union Bible Seminary in New York City. And, uh, and just read constantly. You know, you'd never see me. I pastored for 12 years. You never, never would see me probably if I didn't have a book in my hand. They call me a bookworm, just reading constantly. But uh, as a young man, I listened to the older ministers. After all, they've, they've been here for a while, you know. <laughs> Amen. 
Now that doesn't mean that, 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 that everything they'd say, but I mean, I heard one say one time, and, and he was 70 some odd years old. He said, and he didn't, he didn't say it to me, you know, he said it to several ministers, but, but I, I heard it and I got it, I never forgot it. He said anything that's just found one time in the Bible couldn't be too important. Well, did you ever stop to think about that? If it was a great importance, it would be mentioned over and over again, wouldn't it? Well, see, that's the only time you'll find that, oh, no man in the thing. And there are other things, see, that people put such great emphasis on that, that's not found. I mean, even if it didn't mean that, it couldn't be all that important, could it? If it was a major importance, wouldn't it be mentioned? Huh? Wouldn't you think so? Sure. Just think about love here. See, I'm just touching on a little bit of, you go on through and see how much it's mentioned. I mean, every, every letter Paul wrote, John in his gospel, John in the first epistle, third, whole third chapter almost is given to it. All right, let's go on though. Owe no man anything but to love one another. See, you owe that to everybody, to love one another. Now notice, eighth verse, 13th chapter of Romans. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled, what? The law. See, that's the law back there that said you keep my commandments and walk in my statutes and I'll, keep, I'll take sickness away from the midst of you and the number of your days you'll fulfill. But if I walk in love, I'll fulfill the law. They could fulfill the law and never be sick. Isn't that right? Now, I can walk in love and fulfill the law, but you know under the New Testament that's not far, so you have to go through life sick. Dear Lord, it had been better to stay under the old covenant. Now listen, for this... Let's read now. Got your Bibles there? Ninth verse. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. Now see, that's not all the commandments, but it's some of them. Now notice. And if there be any other commandment, if there's any more besides these that I just got through mentioning, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That fulfills all of them. Look at verse 10. Love, everybody say love. love. See, that's God's love he's talking about. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Well, if I walk in love, then I fulfill the law. Under the old covenant, this is not as good as ours. They could fulfill the law and had the potential of not ever being sick, living the full length of their time out down here below without sickness. The number of their days they fulfill and just fall asleep in God. But under the New Testament, I can walk in love, but it don't produce the same results. No, thank God it does. I said no, thank God it does. Amen. Now, while we're on that, let's turn right on over here to the book of James, and then we'll get again into 1 John. Let's see something here in the second chapter of the book of James. You got your Bible there? Eighth verse. We'll start reading the eighth verse of the second chapter. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. Now look at verse 10. 
For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all of it. Oh, you don't like to hear that, do you? Let's go on reading. Twelfth verse. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. Back up again to the 10th verse. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. Did you ever stop thinking about it? The same law said, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Thou shalt not commit adultery. If you bear false witness against your neighbor, you're just as guilty as the fellow that committed adultery. Come on now. See, that ruins our human thinking. See, that's the reason the word of God said we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I remember years ago, I learned early. Thank God I did. Just a young man, oh, 40 some odd years ago, almost 50 years ago, to tell you the truth about it. I was pastor of a little church in North Texas, one of, the, one of our full gospel denominations, largest city nearby. I was in a small town, about 2,000 population, I guess. Good church, however, good solid church for the day. But in a larger metropolitan area about 45 miles away, one of the ministers got into difficulty, morally. He got dismissed. That is, you know, they turned him out. Well, we had a sectional convention in our church. And the district superintendent, you know, state superintendent's preaching, and he didn't call his name, but we all knew who he was talking about. He just preached him right into hell. Well, me being a young fella, you know, 50 years ago, I wasn't quite as old as I am now. <laughs> wasn't quite 50. I, I was 20 some odd years old. I was about 24 years old. So it was about uh, 45 years ago, 46 years ago. So some of my men, you see, this is the day morning service of this convention. And it was just a, a three nights and two day convention. And he, he preached that in the morning service. Well, see, their wives were there, men were working. So some of my men asked me, did brother so-and-so, talking about the state uh, superintendent, did he say so-and-so about so-and-so? I said, well, he didn't call his name, but that's who he's talking about. Because, you see, after the service, we preachers were all talking, you know, and then they privately called his name, see. Well, Brother Hagin, what do you think about it? Was he right? Yeah, I concurred with him, you see. So the convention's over. A week or two later, my, my father-in-law and mother-in-law came down. They lived about 40 miles away and was there in church on weekend. And my wife and two children, small children then, went home with them after Sunday night. And, and I'm going up after Wednesday night because I couldn't get away. I had some church things to attend to. And after the Wednesday night service, I'm going to drive up there uh, because we like, to, we like to go up on the farm and out where it's quiet, you know, and I'm going to be there you know, 40 miles away. You can drive up there, you know, right away. And, and then I'll be there Thursday and Friday, and then we'll all come back Saturday, and I'll be there for my service. So my wife's gone. Monday night, it's Monday night. I've done the church business and other business I need to attend to. I'm there alone in the parsonage. I listen to the news. You know, we had no, no TV, just radio. I listen to the 10 o'clock news. It went off about 10, 15, you know. And so... This house, parsonage, was an old house. They had moved it in there as a parsonage, and it was built on back there before they had electricity. 
Then when they did wire it for electrics, you know how they did, you know. I mean, you just got a light hanging down the middle of the room. You just reach up there and pull the chain, you know, or turn the switch, you know, and the light goes out. So I, I just reached up there and turned the light off, knelt immediately by the foot of the bed and prayed. See, saying my prayers, I'm, you know, before you get in bed. And suddenly the whole room lit up. Bible talks about Paul at noonday saw a light brighter than noonday. That whole room lit up brighter than it was when the light was on. And you know you can't see a thing in the world when you first turn the light out. But that whole room lit up. I could see every piece of furniture. I mean bright light. And out of the bright light I heard these words. Who art thou that condemneth another man's servant? I knew that was the Lord. I said, Lord, I didn't condemn your servant. He never said a word about anything except just again said, who art thou that condemneth another man's servant? Well, I said, Lord, I never condemn your servant. And the third time the voice out of the light said, who art thou that condemneth another man's servant? I said, Lord, I didn't condemn your servant. Said, he said, didn't you say so and so about brother? He called him brother. I mean, we wouldn't even call him brother, that dirty rascal. I mean that buzzard. <laughs> yeah, the Lord said, didn't you say so-and-so about brother so-and-so? I said, uh, you know, <laughs> your natural mind, your flesh takes over. You know, just as soon as Adam got in trouble, God came down in the garden, you remember? Said, Adam, where art thou? He said, I hid myself. What you want to hide yourself for? I said, this woman. didn't it? Uh, laying off on a woman first and then God said, said, this woman which thou gavest me. <laughs> oh me. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I'm a full gospel pastor, Pentecostal, tongue talker. Lord, I said, I, 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 I was just quoting uh, was just quoting the, the state superintendent. Yeah, but he said when you repeated it, that was tantamount to you saying it. Who art thou that condemneth another man's servant? Well, see, he's not the prophet. So I said, I thought he is wrong. I mean, didn't he do wrong? The Lord never told me whether he did not. He asked me a question, said, whose servant is he, mine or yours? Well, I said, if he's anybody's servant, he's yours. He's sure not mine. Well, he said, if he's my servant, I'm able to make him stand. And you know he did? You know he did? He made the man stand, and he became the most outstanding minister in that part of the state. Well respected, even though he missed it back there. Amen. These are things that cause people ill health. From that day to this, I keep my mouth shut. You never hear me speak against anybody. Amen. I had one other experience, and I'm, don't forget about that woman up there in Washington, Oregon with the epileptic. We're going to come back there in a minute, see. That epileptic child, you remember her? Don't, don't forget her now. We don't want to leave her, you see. So, I remember, oh, about the same time this happened. I had another experience. You know, after all, what Jesus said to me, in a, to me, an audible voice in May of 1950, see, and this all happened, seven, eight years before. I, 
I want you to go teach my people faith. See, you can't teach faith without teaching love. We just got through reading a while ago earlier, you know, that faith worketh by love. Didn't we? Then you can't teach faith without teaching love. Oh, a lot of folks like to hear about faith, but they don't care too much about hearing about love. That's the reason their faith's not working. And so, I was going to a, uh, uh, we were going to, we were holding meetings, my wife and I on the field. We held a meeting down in East Texas in the Full Gospel Church. We're going from that meeting to a convention of our same Full Gospel denomination. And uh, one of the ministers in that part of the state, I had heard that he had left his church. In fact, he had to leave his church. He got into trouble, got into some difficulty. And he had to leave the church. And, and I'd heard some reports, but I knew this minister was, in fact, he, the pastor, I was on, he was on a committee that, now the man didn't lose his papers with the, with, with the people or all that, but anyway, he just messed up. And, and so I knew he'd know because he was on the sectional committee. So I asked him, what did he do? And he told me, well, without thinking, I just said this. Looks to me like anybody in sense would know better than that. You know, to know better to do what he did. Never thought anything about it. We closed that meeting. We went on to the convention. We're having services all day long, you know, night time. And ordinarily, you see, like I said, I, I just, I just uh, for 54 years, walked, I don't know, I haven't been attacked, but I walked in divine hell. And ordinarily, you know, I just feel good. Man, alive. But I, you couldn't put your finger on it. You know, you couldn't say, well, my stomach hurts, because it didn't. You couldn't say I got a headache because it didn't. But you just didn't feel up to par physically and couldn't sleep. Ordinarily, time, my wife said time my head hits the pillow, I'm asleep. And three nights, see, two nights now, in that convention, see, you're all day long and then you can't sleep at night, boy, you wear out in a hurry. I mean, you just fizzle out. And I'm making all the confessions. You know, when you pray, believe you see, I believe I'll receive. Uh, can't sleep. Don't feel good. You know, we say sometimes sort of under the weather. You know what I mean? Can't put your finger on it. You just don't feel good physically. So this third night, still can't sleep. I'm by, I'm by. I said, Lord, I can't go to the, I can't go tomorrow to the convention. I just give out. I got out of bed, got on my knees. And I remembered something Dr. Lillian B. Yeoman said, who was a medical doctor and then got raised up from a deathbed and spent the rest of her life preaching divine healing. She said, if I pray and don't get results, I start changing. Because she said, there'll have to be a change somewhere before the answer can come. It can't be with God because he don't ever change. So I started changing. See, I'd been making all the confessions, saying all the right thing. See, if you just listen today, you'll find most all the answers to everything that's troubling you. And so the Lord said to me, you say, how did he say it to you? Right in there in that still small voice, like he speaks to everybody. I said, Lord, what's wrong with me? What's wrong here? I didn't make connection here. He said, didn't you say so-and-so about brother, this pastor? Well, I said, Lord, all I said was. <laughs> See, it's not bad. All I said was, looks like anybody with any sense would know better than to do what he did. What I did, said, actually the other pastor, was, looked like anybody with any sense would know better than that. That's what I literally said, word for word. The Lord asked me a question. He said, do you know what pressure he was under? 
I said, no. Do you know the circumstances that surrounded the situation? I said, no. The Lord said to me, if you had been in the same position, you might not have done as well as he did. I mean, with tears, I said, oh, God, forgive me. I repent, forgive me. You know, instantly I was well. Instantly I was well. Got in bed and slept, <laughs> rested. Amen. No, you might not have done as well as he It's easy to criticize the other fellow, isn't it? You know, you might not have done as well as he did under the same circumstances. Makes a difference. I'm talking about walking in love. Amen. And if you want to, thank God you can have divine health. I believe God has something better for us than just getting healed and then getting healed and then getting healed and then getting healed. I believe he wants us to walk in hell. All right. So that little girl, instantly the seizure stopped. The mother said, Satan, take your hand off my child. I'm walking in love. A few days before she hadn't been, she was saying, I hate my mother-in-law and acting ugly towards her. But she's got it straightened up. She's over in love now. Well, we went away. Every once in a while, we'd get a letter from them and they'd send us an offering, never say anything about the child. Five years later, they were living down in California. We were there ministering and we went and stayed in their home for three or four days between meetings. And I noticed a little girl now, eight years old, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, just lively, full of life. And, and before, you see, she acted like she's retarded before and very slow and didn't have good coordination. But now then, she's just perfect. Fact, in fact, her mother said they had the IQ test at school. She had the highest IQ of anybody in school. So I asked the mother, I could see she as well. I said, she ever have any other attack during this five years? She said, no. There was twice during this past five years that there were some symptoms that showed up, tried to show up. I said, what'd you do? She said, and I said, no, you don't, Satan. I'm walking in love. Take your hand off my child. And she's immediately all right. Now you see where folks miss it, they sit around and say, isn't that wonderful? Oh, glory to God, what that woman did, and don't know they can do the same thing. It belongs to them just as much as it does her. Because a new covenant belongs to every single one of us. A new commandment I give that pastor's wife. No, new commandment I give you. Hallelujah. Yeah, but I've acted ugly, she did too. Yeah, but I missed it, she did too. But see, she repented. She got back into love. You see, every step out of love is sin. If you miss it, being human, we are prone to miss it. But just get back as fast as you can. Amen, because it's unsafe. It's unsafe to be over there, for Satan can attack you. Are you listening to me? So get back just as fast as you can. Don't wait till you come to church. When you see you missed it, stop right then. Praise God and say, I missed it. Forgive me, Lord. Get back in love. Amen, hallelujah. If you spoke short to your husband, your wives, that's not being kind or tenderhearted either. Don't wait till you come to church and pray. Stop right there and say, Lord, forgive me, and then ask him to forgive you. And you wives, if you spoke short to your husband, amen, stop right there. That's not being kind or tenderhearted. Amen. Said, you ever have to? Sure, I've had to do it. And if you haven't, you better get started. You're probably 20 years late. Amen. If you have to correct your children, which you'll have to, do it in love. Amen. I've, I, I did that. I, I've had people say to me, said, you still bragging on your kids? I still do, praise God. We never had problems with our children and other folks out. But it's because we live right in front of them, trained them correctly. I know my wife said one time, well, I mean, we were, we were holding a meeting in another state and 
On an off day, we drove 100 miles to visit another minister and I'd preach there. They'd built a new church. We wanted to see their new facilities, beautiful facilities. And the pastor's wife, our boy was about 17. He was at home. My wife was with me. My mother-in-law was with the children. And actually not a child, 17-year-old boy. And so this pastor's wife said to my wife, well, I know you understand you've got a 17-year-old, so you'll understand we just can't do anything with them. Talking about their boy. Their oldest boy was 17. Can't do a thing in the world with him. Don't want to go to church. Won't come to church. We can't do a thing in the world with him. He wants to join the Navy. We're just going to sign for him to join just to get rid of him. I know you know how to sympathize with me. You've got a boy 17. My wife said, no, I don't know how to sympathize with you. I've got a boy 17, but I don't know how to sympathize with you because he's not that way. You'd have to knock him in the head to keep him out of church. Amen. A lady said to me, I mean, I was preaching down in South Texas. Uh, and we'd started the meeting the last Sunday of the year. And so the next Sunday would be the first Sunday of the New Year. So we had, uh, you know, services New Year's Eve. Now, we didn't have a New Year's Eve service. We were having service every night. So we just had the regular service and went home. Well, after the meeting, a lady said to me, shaking hand, folks, a lady said, Brother Hagin said, would you pray for my son? She began to cry. I said, I know you'll know how to sympathize with me. Well, I do sympathize with her, all right, but right on the other hand, I didn't know how. said, you've got a 17-year-old boy. My boy's 17 years old, and I don't know where he is. He'll be out nearly or probably all night long. This is New Year's Eve. May get drunk, get on dope, and I can't do a thing with him. Can't get him to come to church, and, and you know how to sympathize with, him, with me, I'm sure. You've got a boy 17. I said, yeah, I have a boy 17, but I really, I don't know what you're talking about because I said... My son's home, my wife is home at that time uh, with them. And I said, my wife is home, uh, but my son, 17 years old, he'll probably go somewhere just for some kind of celebration, but he'll tell his mother exactly when he's coming back. And he won't leave his mother and little sister without seeing that they're taken care of. Because I said, you see, my son's a gentleman. And the reason he's a gentleman is because I've been a gentleman in front of him. Don't shout me down now just because I'm preaching real good. Amen. I said, amen. amen. So what I started to say is, I, I've had to do it. I've done it, you see. I, I may have, uh, my, my son, I may have given him a whipping or spoken short to him, but then I, I came back and apologized. I said, now, son, what I did was right, but I did it in the wrong way. And I spoke short. And I got angry, and I was wrong. You forgive me. And I, read, I would read uh, Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Did you ever read that? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right first commandment with promise that it may be well within your days may be long on the earth and so if I had to reprimand him somewhere another boy's a little more rambunctious than girls <laughs> and, uh, and we had to get a hold of him a little more often but I'd read that scripture to him see I, I'm not whipping you because I want to see after all love does reprimand you got to realize that the Bible said a child left to itself will bring a reproach on his parents are you hearing me and so I remember when Ken was uh, five years old, well, right about six, really. I had told him that morning to empty a wastebasket. So that night we started to pray before we went to bed. In fact, we did pray. And then I would set up usually and do my studying. My wife, you know, with two children and so on, and housework would get off to bed. So Ken came into where I had my desk in another room and said, Daddy, uh, he began to cry and said, find that scripture about obeying your parents so you live a long time and won't be sick. <laughs> so I found it, Ephesians 6. I read it. It said, children, obey your parents and the Lord. Uh, this is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee 
that your days may be long on the earth. See, those are not well days when you're sick, are they? Those are not well days when you're in the hospital, are they? Are they? No. And so when I read that to him, he began to cry. He said, Daddy, I want you to forgive me. He said, I didn't empty that wastebasket this morning. Well, I didn't know. I saw it was empty. I just suppose he did it. See, but he knew he did. He said, I, I want you to forgive me. I said, fine, I'll forgive you. Get down there and ask the Lord to forgive you. He said, I want, I want it to be well with me. I want to live a long time on the earth. You know, we raised both of our children to be grown, and all they ever cost us, medically speaking, was $37.50. <laughs> when the boy was born, 1939, the doctor charged $25. That's all. That's the whole thing, $25. Amen. Nineteen months later, when the girl, Pat, was born, doctor charged twelve and a half. Girls worth just half as much as boys. <laughs> I better straighten that up, hadn't I? No, we had a different doctor this time, and, 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 and he gave resident pastors, ministers, a 50% discount. That's really just charged twelve and a half. So that's thirty-seven dollars and fifty cents. Our children very seldom were sick even. I remember uh, my, my mother-in-law was keeping the kids. My wife was with me and Ken was about 12 years old. And so she called and said, what am I going to do with this boy? I said, well, what's the matter? Well, he's just a crying. I said, what's the matter with him? Well, he said he came home from school and then his jaws also, he got the mumps. Everybody up here has got the mumps. That's, you know, that's figurative speaking. Everybody in town didn't have the mumps, but it meant it's widespread. And so what am I going to do with you? Well, I said, in the first place, anybody's got the money, you'd know how to take care of him anyway. But secondly, I said, put him on the phone and I'll pray and God will heal him. No, he's in missing school. Well, she said, he just worried me to death, just kept crying, crying, crying. And so he got on the phone. He said, I told Grandma, all you got to do is just call Daddy and he'd pray. There's no use of me missing school. So I prayed and 45 minutes, all the months disappeared. From that day to this, he's never had the months. Amen. Oh, some folks said, isn't that wonderful? Oh, what a great man, Brother Hagin. No, 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 I'm just a man with a great God and a great Bible. Amen. I just learned early, I just learned early to walk in love. I just learned early that faith works by love. Don't have anything anymore than anybody else does. Are you listening to me? He'll hear you pray just as much and just as quick as he will me. Now see, that went flat because you don't believe that. Yes, he will. I said, yes, he will. Yeah, but you don't know how I missed it. I don't care how much you missed it. The minute you repent, he don't ever remember that you did anything wrong. He said, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions, and I'll not remember thine iniquities. And the minute you repent and ask him, he don't remember that you ever did. He'll treat you just like you never did do anything wrong. Amen. I said, amen. I said, amen. I said, amen. Glory, I don't know where they're up to. Well, let's stand up. Let's stand up. My, 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 the time's gone. I wish we had time to go further with that. You could teach a week on that. Say it out loud. God's word, God's word is, true. is true. The Bible, the Bible is, God is God speaking to me. Speaking to me. I, know I know that I have passed, that I have passed. from death Unto life, life. from spiritual death death. unto eternal life, life. because I love the brethren. 
I'm a lover. I'm not a hater. I'm a lover. The love of God has been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I'm kind, tenderhearted, one toward another, forgiving one another, even as God has forgiven me for Christ's sake. Hallelujah. 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 That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3.